0: Welcome to the show. It's your old pal, Susan Barry, and I am doing a solo episode this week. We are going to talk about my predictions for 2023. But before we do that, I felt like it was probably a good time for me to reintroduce myself. I recorded the trailer and like sort of introduction probably in the summer of 2021. And today is January of 2023. So it's probably time for an update. I was born in Panama City, Florida, which is on the Gulf Coast in the Northwest Panhandle area. And I went to school at Florida State University uh, all indications aside, I was not a hospitality major. I majored in English. And I did that because I had a lot of credits coming in and had to declare a major and I had no idea what I wanted to do. But <laughs> I knew that I loved to read and write. And so I was like, all right, English seems like a good, easy choice for the moment. As a side note, my father strongly encouraged me to minor in business, and I did not listen to him. And I definitely should have because I've spent my entire career in business and probably had to learn some things the hard way because I never took any business classes. When I was, gosh, probably in middle school, I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I thought that would I could leverage that into becoming a politician because I just wanted to be the boss of everyone, I think is the real reason. But as a result of that, my first job, although it was unpaid, was an internship at a law office when I was 14 years old. Uh, my mom would drive me down to the lawyer's office and they had me working on a project to analyze racial injustices in a particular judge's rulings. And so basically what that meant was we were trying to figure out if this judge was a racist or not. It was super interesting, probably a little over my head, probably a little bit weird of them to have a 14-year-old working on this, but they were defense attorneys and you know, didn't have a lot of money to throw around. My first paying job was at a movie theater. I actually worked at two different movie theaters as a concessionist. And at the second one, where the sodas, like where you poured the sodas, was up so high that they had to build me a box because (laughs) I was too short to reach the soda machine. I can't believe that they hired me like but especially back in the 90s. They should have just been like, "Forget it, lady, you're too short." But nope, they built me a little box and I could fill up Sprites for people and it was a beautiful thing. We got to see every movie for free. It was a super fun job. Awesome for a high school student. And the best part was at least at the second theater, I didn't have to wear a uniform. So we could just wear cute clothes every day. Now, at my age, I would probably be like, Of course, I want a uniform. I don't want to ruin my clothing. But at the time, it was very important to me to look stylish and cute. So uh, that was a big perk of that position. After I graduated from high school, I started working in restaurants, but I had kind of a lot of little side jobs, especially the summer between my senior year of high school and freshman year of college. And one of those was that I worked as a switcher at a radio station. I don't even think this is a thing anymore. Please, I hope that this is automated. But back in the day when the radio station and the DJs would go out on remotes, like broadcast live from XYZ Place, they needed someone in the studio to switch back and forth between the live remote and the music that was playing. And so that was my job. I was like a the backup to the backup to the backup. I probably worked like 15 hours the entire summer. But another piece of that was that every once in a while, I think I did it like two or three times, I had to wear the radio station mascot outfit, which was a giant tiger. Now, again, I have mentioned that I am short enough that I had to have a box to stand on to pour Cokes at the movie theater. So you can imagine just how well this mascot outfit fit me. I look like a pure idiot and the legs were like pulled around my ankles. Not a great fit, but certainly a great experience, I suppose went to college again, kept waiting tables and working in restaurants. And then when I graduated, the restaurant company that I worked for offered me a position as a catering manager, which I quickly converted into the catering director. Um, so I did that for a few years. It feels like I did it for 100 years, but it was probably two and a half, three years And we were off-premise caterers. So we traveled all around Tallahassee, Florida, catering uh, everything from bone-in chicken and baked beans to super fancy parties where the homeowners had like a Picasso in their bathroom. It was quite an experience. It was so hard. So hard, in fact, that when I started working in hotels, I was like, oh, my God, this is a piece of cake compared to that (laughs) I won't keep going through all the details of every single job that I've had. But essentially, I worked as a hotel director of sales and marketing for Starwood for about 10 years in Denver, Colorado, the DC area, and then in Atlanta, which is where I still live. And most of what I did for Starwood was open new build hotels. I did 2 hotels in 3 years, a Westin in the DC market and then a W here in Atlanta. And there is nothing more suited to my personality in the hotel business than a a hotel opening. Like It's the most fun, exciting, adrenaline rush thing in the world. The other beauty of it is... At least for Starwood, I don't know how other companies work, but the director of sales and marketing was always the first employee. And so when I got hired, I would act as the general manager and the director of finance, the director of HR, certainly the director of housekeeping. Every single position was mine until those folks got hired. So it was very autonomous and very fun. I was learning a lot. And then, of course, when you got the hotel open, it's kind of like... All the excitement is gone and it's just the day in, day out of running a hotel. And it kind of got a little boring, which I probably sounds like a crazy person thing to say, which is okay with me. So in the spring of 2009, after again, opening a couple of hotels in a very short amount of time, I left to start my company, which is Hive Marketing. I started Hive at the time to do social media and digital marketing for individual hotel properties. It was very much an emerging field. And I had done social for my last hotel and thought I was a social media genius. So uh, that was the company that I started. I was definitely on the early side for that. You know, hotel GMs were like, what? Face who? Twit what? What? And really didn't see a need to pay somebody to manage that stuff. So I ended up doing it for many companies, not just in hospitality and learning so much about different types of businesses. So it was actually a great experience, although not one that I wanted to continue forever. I did a bunch of different types of projects during that time, including task force at scores and scores of hotels, which was really, really fun for a long time. And today, Hive Marketing is focused on business-to-business commercial strategy for hospitality. So what that means is we help owners, management companies brands and vendors sell, market, and price to and for each other. And then we also will be hired by one to hold the other accountable, something like that. So uh, the company is 13 and a half, almost 14 years old and has been an absolute pleasure. I'm not always the best at describing what we do because I'm really... I mean... The positive way to say it is brain bidextrous, like very evenly right and left brained. I think probably some people would also refer to that as having split personalities, but I'm pretty equally attracted to creative and analytical projects. And so... I can't ever just say like, oh, I only do creative projects for hotels or I only do budget reviews. I really like to do a mix of both of those things. Similarly, I like a mix of long-term engagements and short-term projects. I love to do short-term stuff that's like weird and unusual and doesn't fit into someone's org chart. So I'm a really good fit when that comes up. But I also love to be engaged with a company and a team over the long term because it allows me to get more strategic, more proactive, and honestly, more useful to them the longer we spend working together. Some of the projects that I've done in the last couple of years that I've really loved, one was for an autograph collection hotel. Autograph collection has this really cool thing called the mark, where it's like the unique guest-facing activity or occurrence that makes their hotel's distinct. And so I helped an autograph collection hotel create their mark, brand it, put it in place, implement it both in the marketing way and even physically. My husband and I built the uh, component parts that would go with the mark. And that was so much fun and super exciting. But I also love doing things like budget reviews for hotels, like looking at top line revenue and making sure it makes sense. And as you know, the assumptions are all there and have some logic to them and match up to sort of economic trends. Another couple of things that I really like to do, but maybe don't get to do as often are naming projects. I have named many businesses, products, hotel meeting rooms, restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. That's something I really like to do. And I also love to work with hotel owners and investors to figure out if a property that they are looking at makes sense from a revenue perspective, from a top line perspective, or you know, after they've purchased it, what exactly they're going to do with it, what positioning to take, where their brand lives in the greater marketplace, etc. So those are some high marketing projects that I enjoy. On the personal side, I always joke that I don't have hobbies, but I do. I have just weird hobbies that I'm embarrassed to tell people. The most normal hobby I have is I love to read. I just looked at my Kindle and in 2022, I read 84 books. Probably 81 of them were detective <laughs> novels because that's my favorite thing to read. I fancy myself a junior detective, and so I'm reading for uh, skill set development more than anything else. I also love going thrifting and antiquing, finding junk, finding hidden treasures, garage sales, all that kind of stuff. And in the spirit of finding, My last hobby, which is probably my most embarrassing hobby, is that I love to look for discarded or lost coins and other money on the ground. Every year, I start a new jar and collect up all the money that I find. This is only found money. It's not like change back from a purchase or whatever and count it either quarterly or at least at the end of the year to see how much I've made. So in 2020, I was about $20. In 2021, $25. And in 2022, I found $62 plus a $50 Canadian bill. So it was a pretty exciting year for that super weird and embarrassing hobby that I have. (laughs) Another hobby that I have, and if you're a listener, you know this, is predicting the future or asking my guests to predict the future. And so today I am going to tell you about three predictions that I have for 2023. Prediction number one has to do with a little bit with last week's episode, actually. So, in episode 70, Josiah McKenzie and I talked a little bit about Chat GPT, which is a chat bot essentially that can answer questions. It can write essays for you. It's surprisingly conversational or at least surprisingly human sounding. I've used it for a few different things, mostly just to play, but I've used it to help me create an outline for an article. I asked it to help me come up with some like old-fashioned G-rated insults. Um, I used it to learn about some investment terms that I didn't completely understand. And it was all very effective. It worked great. That launched around November 30th, around the same time as a few other AI like tools or toys, whatever you want to call it. One of those being that photo app Lenza that turns your selfie into one of many, many different styles of art. So you upload a photo of yourself and you get back like, I think it's 30 or 50 or something uh, cool looking images of your own face. For the record, I did find out that most of the art that's used within Lenza was actually stolen from the artists who create it. In fact, in some of them, you can see like where their signatures are in the bottom. So I found that out after I tried the app. I am in favor of not giving Lenza your money as a result of that. But it is pretty cool to see what they look like. My LinkedIn friend, Dylan Beaumont, who is general manager at the Fairfield Inn in Eugene, Oregon, gave OpenAI's image generator a task to create images of the most heartwarming, beloved, charming hotel Christmas display. The results were hilarious. This is just another example of AI at work. In this one, a reindeer had one normal ear and one ear that was a corn cob. One of the Christmas trees was decorated with manila folders, and there were like these random chess pieces and copper pots just sprinkled around in the scenes. But despite those glitches, most of the people who saw the images thought they were great. So I'm not trying to overemphasize the weird stuff. But all of this to say that the output of AI tools is fine. It's fine. If you wanted to, you could probably get away with using AI to create everything from now on. That is, of course, unless you're interested in standing out. AI is going to make it even more important than it ever has been. And it has always been important to have a personality, a clear point of view, a brand identity. Because ChatGPT and Linza cannot mimic or steal what is quintessentially you. ChatGPT can write like boring articles that say obvious things, you know, treat your employees well and they will take care of your customers right. That is an insight that has been shared with the world 1 million times and is not exciting. AI can access all of the things that have been said before it can't access all of the interesting, creative, nuanced connections that you are making in your beautiful little brain. As we've seen in the physical world of hotels, undifferentiated properties that don't stand for anything are currently having the hardest time recovering. While hotels with clearly defined value propositions are doing better, both at the upper end of the scale, the lower end of the market, no matter what, if they are very clear, they're doing better. This is true for brands that no consumer can tell apart. It's true for management companies who specialize in every single hotel type. And it's true for vendors who are attempting to pursue all 91,000 hotels and motels in the sort of addressable market in the United States. You have to pick a personality. You have to pick a point of view. Or maybe more to the point, dust off the perspective that you have been hiding for most of your career and let it shine, let it out there. Okay. This next one is maybe not a prediction, more an announcement. I do not want more non-alcoholic booze or mocktails. I want something fun to do instead of drinking. So I'm in the middle of dry January. I've done this almost every year for gosh, more than a decade. And for me, this is like a way to reset my booze expectations after celebrating through the holiday season. Obviously, this is not original to me. It's very popular. There's also Sober October that people do and there's great marketing around it. My favorite by far. This year has been you have to see this Martha Stewart's ad for Tito's. So she goes around and demonstrates a bunch of different ways to use your vodka. If you're not drinking it, like she uses it to clean, to water plants, to cook. I can't remember them all, but it's so funny. And for what it's worth, if you aren't following Martha on Instagram, I recommend that you get on it because she is highly entertaining (laughs) Anyway, I get served up a lot of non-alcoholic beverage ads every January, just like everyone does. Things like Curious Elixirs and Seedlip. I've tried Seedlip and I will probably try them all eventually because I'm curious. But I have to say that I am not really interested in non-alcoholic versions of gin or wine or whatever. I shouldn't say this, but part of this comes from the fact that they all, to me, taste like they would be vastly improved with an ounce or two of the actual hard stuff. And part of it is because it seems like cheating. Like if I'm not drinking right now because I'm specifically trying to interrupt a pattern that I want to change or, you know, reset that pattern, then it feels weird to maintain the pattern like meaning having cocktail hour, going out for drinks or whatever, with something that's non-alcoholic. I should stop here and say, you know, I am expressing how this feels to me in my particular situation. I am in no way saying that other people shouldn't have this stuff or should feel weird about it at all. I just do. And I'm guessing maybe that I'm not alone. I am also not a fan of a mocktail for mostly those same reasons, but also because they usually have a lot of sugar, which tastes kind of gross to me. I think the point of mocktails and non alcoholic spirits, it seems like it's to keep people who aren't drinking from feeling left out. On the other hand, it seems like in some ways the point of booze in general. Is to help soothe social anxiety. So to me, it feels like there's a market for and some huge white space around soothing that social anxiety with something other than a cocktail, whether that includes liquor or not. So, a cocktail, a mocktail, etc. I predict that there is an opportunity for products and maybe more specifically services other than non-alcoholic beverages and edibles, for those of you who are yelling it at your speaker right now, that help people feel a little less afraid or nervous in a social situation. Okay. My last one's similar. It has to do with fine dining If you saw The Menu, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. I cannot stop thinking of this movie, The Menu. It stars, I think he says Rafe instead of Ralph, but Ralph or Rafe finds as the greatest chef in the world, it's a dark comedy about the really extreme ways fine dining restaurants go to please like this outlandish assortment of customers and palates and continue to outperform themselves or outdo themselves. If you go and you're reading the description of the movie and you're worried that you're going to be scared because it says it's a horror movie, don't worry, at least in my opinion, I think it's so much more funny than it is scary. It came out just before Thanksgiving of 2022 And then just after New Year's Eve, a or perhaps the real world version of the movie's fictional restaurant announced that it was going to close. So this is Noma, which is located in Copenhagen. It is routinely listed as the world's best restaurant. It's like three Michelin stars. It's almost 20 years old and has, for most of that time, relied in part at least on stage workers, meaning free labor. To help produce these like crazy over the top menus. I'm not gonna go into a huge amount of detail about the movie or about Noma's closure, except to say that overly fussy food with like a 19 word ingredient pedigree has been on its way out for a while now, at least in my house. We used to plan trips around restaurant reservations at places like Chez Panisse, the French Laundry. By the way, those were both great. But we have had so many experiences that fell flat and cost a fortune. It just doesn't feel worth it to us anymore. Now we're getting much more excited by casual dining. And I read this phrase uh, last year. I think Eater came up with it chaos cooking or chaos cuisine. This is like fusion without being fancy. And there's a great example of that right in our neighborhood at this restaurant called Chans. They have dishes like Mongolian cheesesteak and pizza egg rolls. So it's not fancy fusion, but it's definitely like a mix of cultures. It's very interesting. The way I think about fine dining is that fine dining is a way for people who aren't rich to feel rich for a minute. It's kind of accessible, more accessible luxury. And as these fine dining restaurants that have highly conceptual menus and like a lot of tweezers start to calm down a little bit, I think there is a space in the marketplace for my next idea slash prediction, whether it's food or not. But that is something that makes not rich people feel rich for an hour or two. All right. So I've now given you two different free business ideas that I hope somebody is going to pursue. And to recap, my 2023 predictions are really calls to action. So lean into your personality and point of view to fight our robot overlords. Come up with a non-booze way to ease social anxiety and figure out a more sustainable way than free labor and a $400 menu to make people feel rich for a minute or two. So what are your predictions? I would love to hear them or even discuss them. Please feel free to email me. My address is susan at topfloorpodcast.com. And now, before I hang up my headphones, let's head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. This story comes from a hotel where I was consulting during the Christmas season. And the office where I was set up was close to the public bathrooms that were in the Event space foyer. So they were like intended for the meeting space. It was a Friday afternoon, very close to the end of the day. And I popped into the restroom only to discover an older couple, um, an elderly couple that were standing in front of the sinks and mirrors. It was a man and a woman, and they were fully nude, naked not dressed at all, naked, in the bathroom, in front of the mirrors. So being the utter coward that I am, I just ran away and found someone else to tell and asked them to tell the couple that they were in a public bathroom and they needed to get dressed. So it turns out they were part of the choir performing at one of the holiday parties that night and they needed to change into their costumes allegedly. But I just really have a hard time believing that they didn't know how to use a stall. Thank you so much for listening to Top Floor. We recently passed 36,000 downloads, and I truly appreciate each and every one of them. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 71 top floor is produced by john albano who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by cameron albano if you enjoyed the episode please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.